Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist. You can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. Today is the 2nd of March 2024, and the title of today's show is More Truth Revealed, Ukraine, COVID, and More. And so, again, we've had more of the great reveal happening this week. Interesting things happening with news about COVID, about Ukraine, and also some really weird goings-on with royal families across Europe. So I'm going to make a start here with this news about Ukraine and the CIA involvement. I just want to quickly remind you that I previously reported on the interview between Trucker and Mike Renz, who revealed how it's really these uh, deep state organizations that are controlling elections now. It's not a case of democracy with the people deciding who their so-called leaders should be, but it's controlled by these deep state organizations um, and how the CIA has been involved in color revolutions and destabilizing countries and so on. And now we have a report that was originally in the New York Times, and I'm not able to access that because it's behind a paywall. Um, so I'm going to go to Greg Reese's report on Substack, CIA admits to instigating war with Russia, and this was published on the 1st. Putin has made it clear in several interviews that he is well aware of how U.S. presidents come and go, and U.S. policy never changes. And a quote from Vladimir Putin, I have already spoken to three U.S. presidents. They come and go, but the politics stay the same at all times. Do you know why? Because of the powerful bureaucracy. When a person is elected, they may have some ideas. Then people with briefcases arrive, well-dressed, wearing dark suits, just like mine except for the red tie, since they wear black or dark blue ones. These people start explaining how things are done, and instantly everything changes. This is what happens with every administration, end quote. Putin is well aware that it is the CIA who directs U.S. policy, and it is the intelligence agencies of NATO countries who have been covertly instigating war with Russia for decades. In the Tucker Carlson interview at the Kremlin, President Putin seemed to be speaking directly to the CIA, twice playfully hinting that Tucker is a representative of the intelligence organization. 
And this is a quote again from that interview. Tucker Carlson, with the backing of whom? Vladimir Putin, with the backing of CIA, of course, the organization you wanted to join back in the day, as I understand it. We should thank God they didn't let you in. Although it is a serious organization, I understand. Tucker Carlson, who blew up Nord Stream? Vladimir Putin, you for sure. Tucker Carlson, I was busy that day. Do do you have... I did not blow up Nord Stream, thank you though. Vladimir Putin, you personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi, end quote. And the CIA responded to Putin via their New York Times media outlet in the recent article, The Spy War, How the CIA Secretly Helps Ukraine Fight Putin. The article admits that the CIA, operating through three different presidential administrations, has transformed the Ukraine into Washington's most important intelligence partners against the Kremlin. They have secretly trained and equipped Ukrainian intelligence officers over the past decade and constructed a network of 12 secret bases along the Russian border used to launch cross-border attacks on Russian territory. This means the CIA is responsible for the attacks on oil refineries and energy infrastructure. The article describes secret underground command centers established near the Russian border, financed and equipped by the CIA. A CIA program called Operation Goldfish enabled Ukrainians to hack into Russian military networks, break into satellites and decode secret conversations. Two years after the 2014 Western-backed coup in Ukraine, the CIA set up training programs for an elite Ukrainian commando force known as Unit 2245. The CIA trained Ukrainian spies who operate inside of Russia across Europe and in other places where Russia operates. The article points out that this operation may have even been hidden from Trump. While Trump's rhetoric was friendly to Russia, his administration of anti-Russia war hawks, such as Mike Pompeo and John Bolton, kept Western aggression moving forward, which is what Putin has been pointing out for years. Presidents come and go and the policy never changes. The article says nothing about the several bioweapons labs that the US admitted to having along Russia's border. Some of these labs were seized by the Russian Federation, who say they are preparing to release a report on them, but have so far remained silent. Putin has made it clear that Russia's actions in Ukraine was in response to decades of hostile US-NATO military expansion on Russian borders. And the CIA is now admitting this to be true. Brian Cates also reports on the Ukraine situation on his substack that Ukraine illusions are now collapsing and the world is learning the truth. Maintaining the Ukraine-NATO illusions were a big reason for the CIA's operations against President Donald J. Trump. This was published the 28th of February. Jack Posobiec asked an excellent question on X the other day. 
Are we allowed to ask if the CIA building 12 secret bases on the Ukraine border with Russia still means the Russian invasion was unprovoked? By now, many Americans have woken up to the reality that much of what the Biden White House, the U.S. State Department, the United Nations, the European Union and NATO have used the medium of fake news media to claim to them about this ongoing military conflict between the Russian Federation and Ukraine is false. When I saw Jack's post, I responded by saying the following. Our government, the UN and NATO, lied about, one, the maiden coup being launched by our own CIA. Two, the Donbass refused to recognize a CIA puppet government in Kiev, setting off an eight-year civil war. Three, Kiev arming and sending actual neo-Nazis to eastern Ukraine to commit atrocities and war crimes against the ethnic Russian population there. Four, there are a dozen biolabs funded and controlled by NATO and our CIA-Pentagon-State Department, or as Mike Benz Cyber affectionately refers to them, the blob. Five, there are a dozen secret CIA bases from which Operation Gladio operatives have been launching acts of war against Russia for several decades now. And there's a segment from an article by Ukrenska Pravda from the 25th of February. CIA maintains 12 secret bases in Ukraine. CIA head was in Kiev last week, New York Times. The U.S.'s Central Intelligence Agency maintains 12 secret bases in Ukraine along the border with Russia, and last Thursday, CIA chief William Burns made his 10th secret visit to Ukraine since the start of Russia's full-scale invasion. That's the end of the quote. Here's what people don't understand because they bought all the lies our own government told us. Putin tried diplomacy for almost two decades to, one, stop the relentless NATO expansion to Russia's border, two, stop the CIA's meddling and launching coups against Russia's neighbours, three, stop the neo-Nazi war crimes in the Donbass, four, get the biolabs removed from his doorstep. And for 20 years, he was told by the UN, NATO, the EU, the US State Department, etc., to STFU, we know what that means, and quit lying. The international public was confidently assured there were no CIA bases, there were no biolabs, and there certainly weren't any openly neo-Nazi units embedded in the Ukrainian military committing war crimes in the Donbass. Putin exhausted diplomacy and got tired of being told he was making all this up. Now the whole world will see who the real bad guys are. Since Putin went into the Donbass region of Ukraine to secure it against the war crimes being committed there by the neo-Nazi units under the control of the Kiev government, I've written several times about how much of what the Western world is being told by the cleverly disguised intelligence agency propaganda outlets disguised as news media, that's Fox News, New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, NBC News, CBS News, etc., about much of the world is false. 
not just what they're being told about Ukraine and Russia, but also much of the rest of the world. But let's focus on the prevalent lies about Ukraine for this column. The lies include are not limited to one, Putin's goal is to take over all of the country of Ukraine and then start World War III by invading a NATO country such as Poland. Two, Russia was losing the war badly, even as the US Congress was frantically trying to send more and more billions of dollars and more weapons to Ukraine. Three, the biolabs that were initially claimed not to exist are for purely defensive and research purposes, not the nefarious offensive reasons claimed by the Russian government. Four, there are no neo-Nazi units openly operating in the eastern Donbass, either before or following Putin's invasion, just a handful of colourful, boisterous and not-too-bright types with bad judgment in what insignia they put on their uniforms. Five, there was no genuine attempt at a peace agreement a year and a half ago. That was just made-up Russian propaganda. Boris Johnson certainly did not rush to sabotage a developing peace deal before it could be finalised. The problem here was that sooner or later, there has to be a payoff for a lie started as a propaganda narrative. All the lies I just listed above had a shelf life. They were constructed chiefly to maintain a holding pattern until the payoffs arrived. Things were supposed to happen that would prevent those lies from being exposed as lies. But those things haven't happened. Like increasing sanctions on Putin, bringing Russia to its knees. Russia was supposed to have been entirely isolated by now, and Putin was to have been reduced to an international pariah, someone no other national leader would meet or work with. As I wrote in April of last year, the sudden activation of BRICS as a viable alternative to the US Federal Reserve petrodollars financial system caught the entire NATO bloc by surprise. A year after it was supposedly assured that NATO had Russia on the ropes over alleged massive defeats being suffered by Putin's forces in Ukraine, on top of the imagined severe financial crisis the NATO sanctions were inflicting on Moscow, the tables have dramatically turned, thanks to new BRICS energy trade deals for oil, where the transactions are being made in currencies like the Chinese yuan. Russia has now reached oil exports to the same level as before the NATO sanctions were implemented. And it's showing a, an extract from The Independent. Russian oil exports back above pre-Ukraine war levels as India and China buy 90% of Moscow's crude. That was the 14th of April last year, I presume. Russian crude oil experts are back above levels seen before Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine, despite the ratcheting up of Western sanctions, new data shows. Brian continues, and now over the last six months or so, the worst thing that could have occurred has begun to happen. The international public is learning the truth. The cracks started showing in the carefully crafted illusions. Maintaining such illusions takes a lot of effort. They're only effective in the short term, and their new illusions must be cast and kept up in front of the public's eyes. 
Because the narrative payoffs never arrived and events did not develop as hoped over the past two years, the illusions carefully crafted by intelligence agents disguised as reporters have started collapsing under their absurd weight. Zelensky was just claiming the other day that the total number of Ukrainian soldiers killed in the conflict with Russia over the past two years is 31,000. It has gotten to the point where the players in the farce aren't even bothering to construct believable lies. The more we learn about the CIA and its role in the puppet government installed in Ukraine in 2014, and the biolabs and the training, arming, directing of the neo-Nazi units as they perpetrated war crimes in eastern Donbass for over eight years, the more it becomes apparent to me why the CIA and other rogue government agencies were engaged from the start in illegal operations targeting President Donald J. Trump and his administration and why certain people absolutely freaked out over the perfect phone call when President Trump began asking the wrong questions of newly elected Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, and then they rushed to create false reasons involving a fake CIA whistleblower named Eric Cherimella to impeach a president. There's a word for that, and I believe it is treason. The more we learn, the clearer it becomes why those who told us endless lies over the past eight years or so are now frantically telling us even more desperate lies as their Ukraine house of cards collapses, even as all their efforts to stop and turn back Donald Trump's triumphant return to the White House are failing. Donald Trump can end them. He can end all their endless lies about Ukraine and so many other things. So this is not just another four-year election. The very survival of the world itself very likely depends on the outcome of this 2024 presidential race. And Jeff Childers, on his daily newsletter at coffeeandcovid.com, also has some interesting narrative on the Ukraine situation as well. This was published today, so it's hot off the press. This is just an extract because he actually covers multiple topics in his daily newsletter. Surprisingly, the New York Times ran a narrative-bending story yesterday outside the paywall. Headlines, surprisingly weak, Ukrainian defences help Russian advance. It was surprising, all right. The article's honesty was the most surprising part. We're rapidly approaching the proxy war stage where the media starts squaring its war reporting with reality, trying to rescue a few crumbs of credibility. This important story blew a fatal hole in the Ukraine was unfunded argument. As the Times article made abundantly clear, it is now incontestable that Ukraine, even aided by NATO war planners, free weapons and a multi-billion dollar blank check failed miserably at the fundamentals. Ukraine's culture of corruption, graft and easy dishonesty proved suicidal. NATO's unaccountable war by committee in the face of a unified, organized, experienced enemy with a clear chain of command proved disastrously incompetent. First, recall last week's war-shattering news. 
After a five-month siege, Russia finally captured Ukraine's key strategic village of Avdivka, which the Americans had transformed into a heavily defended military-industrial base ten years before. Over a handful of days of bloody fighting following Russia's capture of the fortress city, Ukrainian defences sagged and quickly collapsed. You could call it a rout. The Russians are now flooding west. The obvious problem, ignored by corporate media until now, was immediately grasped by the war bloggers. Ukraine never installed any real defences behind Avdivka. As unbelievable as it sounds, it seems like Ukraine's generals failed to anticipate Russia's breakthrough. Now, nothing is stopping Putin's forces except Ukrainian soldiers fighting in the open who are being mercilessly mowed down. Meanwhile, invisible NATO war planners just throw more and more men at the Russians, desperately trying to slow their advance. But did the generals really fail to foresee this development? According to various reports, Ukrainian parliament members are starting to ask some hard questions. Where did all the money go that was allocated for defensive perimeters? Many fabulously exorbitant emergency price contracts to build defenses were awarded and paid. Unimaginable amounts of foreign aid, mostly from the US, ebbed and flowed through the Ukrainian treasury. Why weren't defences laid down? In the most ominous sign for Ukraine of all, it looks like the blame shifting has begun. The Times article quoted anonymous US officials complaining Ukraine will have to, quote, face the consequences, end quote, of its own bad decisions, as though the US and NATO were hands-off or something. And there's a screenshot that doesn't say the source of it, but it says satellite imagery at the scale shown here is widely available. US officials said privately that it was concerning that Ukraine did not shore up its defensive lines early or well enough, and that it may now face the consequences as Russian units advance slowly but steadily beyond Avdivka. Due to what could be euphemistically called an unfortunate confluence of events, Ukraine has no excuse. The Russians were in the exact same spot a year before and handled it well, giving Ukraine a perfect example. In 2022, after the Russians withdrew from western Ukraine, they had a five or six month breather while Ukraine ploddingly prepared for its heavily marketed but unsuccessful glorious spring offensive. During that time, Russia built a massive north-south network of layered defences running the length of the entire country. It was a gargantuan building project that may have set new records for speed, quality and engineering. But despite having about the same amount of time to prepare while the Russians were busy with Avdivka, the Ukrainians only dug a few ditches and put up some Putin sucks signs. The Times included helpful satellite infographics crystallizing Ukraine's failures. The image included on the left, Behold Russia's famous and 100% effective triple-layer defense network. Remarkably, it runs for 600 miles or more, including lines of deep 
ditches that tanks can't cross are downward barriers, then lines of concrete dragon's teeth fences that also stop tanks, an upward barrier, and behind that a system of concrete trenches which stop tanks and also give Russian infantry excellent cover. By comparison, in spite of having around the same amount of time as the Russians to get their defences ready, the Ukrainians inexplicably did almost nothing. In the right-hand image, you can see a couple of useless Ukrainian dirt trenches, not carefully constructed like the Russians, but rather hastily dug. The trenches are short and unconnected. The Russians can drive right around them and easily bulldozed. In other words, Ukraine's pathetic trenches are utterly useless, an insult on top of their frittering away months of potential preparation. It was a fact the Times essentially admitted. Ukrainian commanders have had ample time to prepare defences outside Advivka. The area has been under attack since 2014 and Ukraine has had a tenuous hold on it since Russia launched its full-scale invasion two years ago. But the Ukrainian defences outside Avdika show rudimentary earthen fortifications, often with a connecting trench for infantry troops to reach firing positions closest to the enemy, but little else. Brian continues, ample time, but where were the brilliant NATO war planners during this ample time? Compare Ukraine's cute little ditches with this example of one area of the Russians' intricate defensive network, again courtesy of the Times. The Russians built complex, substantial defences that the Times properly called fortifications, and it shows an image with the yellow lines identifying the fortifications. Making all this even more humiliating, the Russians built their fortifications while they were labouring under US sanctions, enduring terrific difficulty getting building materials. On the other hand, the Ukrainians enjoyed concierge-level access to NATO's private supply closet and an infinite cash card. For the cost of a single F-16, the entire defensive perimeter could have been speedily built but wasn't, and now it's too late. Even worse, the Times let slip that they didn't forget. They had the money. They allocated the money to defences. And it quotes, Responsibility for building the first line of defence would fall to the military units stationed in the area, the officials said, while the next defensive lines will be built by civilian authorities with the help of private contractors. Dennis Schmihol not sure if I pronounced that right, Ukraine's prime minister said that some 30 billion Ukrainian hryvnias, about $800 million, had been allocated for fortifications this year. Oops, where, oh, where did a billion dollars go? Where, oh, where could it be? We will probably never know. Ukraine lost its password to QuickBooks and then the hard drive crashed. They think it might be a virus. Regardless, now ordinary, non-oligarchical Ukrainians are dying by the bucket loads. They are dying because the money was stolen. They are dying because nobody in charge 
not Zelensky, not Jen Stoltenberg, not Lloyd Austin, not George Burns, ever audited the books. They never made sure the money was being properly spent building dragon's teeth rather than building Italian villas, buying Gucci purses, gold chains and Mercedes convertibles. And, of course, lots and lots of blow. And there is an image of Zelensky being interviewed. I can't remember who it was with, but all the comments were saying he seems high as a kite and he seems a complete crackhead. Even by the most cynical estimates, Ukraine won't run out of ammo and weapons until July. It's not losing because of lack of ammo. It's already got plenty of money to build fortifications, but obviously used it for something else. It is losing because it failed to do the most basic, obvious thing in the world. Sadly, it seems Ukraine must now face the deadly consequences. But don't worry, the unaccountable, invisible generals or CIA agents or MI6 spooks or whoever makes up NATO's behind-the-scenes war planning group will completely avoid the exploding blame balloon. They'll probably just get reassigned to the Middle East. I think this intensely critical article combined with last week's CIA expose means the New York Times has pulled the proxy war's plug We'll see. Now perhaps all the people that have been duped to put Ukrainian flags into their bio will actually see sense and remove them. And this is most definitely an ironclad case for not sending billions more of US aid, or I would add UK aid, to Ukraine. Now let's move on to the COVID scandemic and... COVID bioweapon truth being revealed. And the first thing I want to cover is a Substack article by Joseph Sanson, and it's titled, BAM! National ARM's Grand Jury Petition Vaccine Crime Evidence Being Sent to Indiana Governor and Attorney General. Crimes include murder, racketeering, biological weapons, laws violations, treason and genocide. 28th of February, it was published. As a board member of the National American Renaissance Movement, I am pleased to announce that National ARM is sending an 86-page grand jury petition containing evidence of C-19 vaccine crimes to the Indiana governor and the state attorney general. National ARM's grand jury petition states that C-19 shots should be, quote, banned immediately and criminal investigations should begin, end quote. Indiana is the 13th state to receive the grand jury petition. Eventually, someone will do their job. Previously, this evidence was submitted to the governor's attorney generals, along with prosecutors and sheriffs in Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, South Carolina, Ohio, California, Tennessee, Texas, Idaho, Florida, and New Jersey. This document was prepared by National American Renaissance Movement President and New Jersey criminal defense and trial attorney David Meiswinkle. This 86-page document lists 153 exhibits of evidence and asserts that state and federal crimes have been committed. 
This document demands an immediate ban of COVID-19 vaccines and calls for criminal investigations. The document also lists persons of interest. Crimes include murder, racketeering, biological weapons, laws violations, treason and genocide. National Arm intends to submit evidence of vaccine crimes to local prosecutors and law enforcement in all 50 states. This is partly about removing plausible deniability. And the article includes links to the executive summary and the grand jury petition. The Florida Department of Health has recently called for a halt to COVID mRNA injections. And there's also a link to National Armed President David R. Meiswinkle introducing the grand jury petition outlining crimes committed that has been submitted in 13 states. Slay News reported on the 25th of February, secret CDC report, COVID shots killed half a million children and young adults. A secret report from the US Center for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, has been unearthed that shows a staggering half a million American children and young adults have been killed by COVID shots. The CDC report has revealed that almost 500,000 Americans aged between 0 and 44 years old died from the dangerous side effects of the COVID mRNA injections between the start of the public rollout of the shots in early 2021 and October 9, 2022. However, the shocking revelations from the report have been completely ignored by the corporate media the same outlets that told the public the vaccines were safe and effective. Compared to other countries, the US government has been slow to publish relevant and up-to-date data to allow the public to analyse the consequences of rolling out the COVID injections. However, the data has finally been made public by the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, OEC. The OEC is an intergovernmental organisation with 38 member countries founded in 1961 to stimulate economic progress and world trade. The organisation hosts a wealth of US government data on excess deaths. Figures provided to the OEC by the CDC show excess deaths among children and young adults aged 0 to 44 across the USA by week in 2020 and 2021. The official figures reveal that there was a slight increase in excess deaths among children and young adults when the COVID pandemic hit the US in early 2020. However, with the introduction of COVID mRNA injections, one would have expected deaths to have fallen significantly among the age group in 2021. Instead, however, the opposite happened. Excess deaths among children and young adults skyrocketed every single week in 2021. Through 2021, excess deaths were far higher than they were in 2020, except for weeks 29 and 30. Unfortunately, official figures provided by the CDC show that the trend continued through 2022. The most recent data released by the CDC covers up to week 40, the week ending October 9th. The CDC has confirmed that there have been 7,680 more excess deaths among children and young adults 
in 2022 so far than there were during the same time frame in 2020 at the height of the COVID pandemic, according to a report from the expose. The year 2021 was by and far the worst, however, with 27,227 more excess deaths by week 40 following the rollout of the COVID-19 injection than what occurred in 2020 at the height of the alleged COVID-19 pandemic. The official CDC figures show all deaths and excess deaths among children and young adults across the United States prior to the rollout of the COVID vaccines and after. The figures reveal that the first nine months of 2022 saw only 1,352 fewer excess deaths among 0 to 44-year-olds than the whole of 2020, the supposed peak of the pandemic. But the most concerning figures revealed are the overall number of deaths and excess deaths among children and young adults since the rollout of the COVID injections. Nearly half a million Americans aged 0 to 44 have died after receiving the COVID shots, which were supposed to protect them from the virus. This report from the CDC comes after recent reporting from Slay News regarding the shocking leaked documents from the UK government's efforts to promote the vaccines through fear tactics. The explosive leaked docs show medical staff were ordered to euthanise patients who had been admitted to hospital and tested positive for COVID-19. The official documents were leaked from the UK state-funded National Health Service, NHS. The docs further confirm the previous reporting from Slay News that revealed patients were euthanised in order to boost the numbers for COVID deaths. A Slay News reported smoking gun evidence revealed that tens of thousands of elderly people were murdered to boost the mortality rates. The data produced for the report indicated that people were being euthanized using a fatal injection of midazolam. And incidentally, that was combined with morphine, both of which uh, suppress breathing, which is exactly what you don't want if somebody has a respiratory illness. The cause of their deaths was then listed as COVID, indicating that the virus was killing far more elderly people than it was. The explosive data from the report was made public by Australian politician Craig Kelly, the national director of the United Australia Party. The report obtained official UK government data on death rates and causes. According to Kelly, the patients were euthanised in order to boost COVID deaths and ramp up public fear to garner support for lockdowns and vaccines. While alerting the public about the data, Kelly declared that it exposes the crime of the century. These deaths were then falsely blamed on COVID, which was the basis of the public fear campaigns used to justify the lockdowns and mass-mandated injections of the public, including children, with an experimental medical intervention that had zero long-term safety data, Kelly said in a post on X alongside copies of the data. Along the way, a small group pushing the need for mass-mandated injections made billions. 
This paper shows that the UK spike in deaths wrongly attributed to COVID-19 in April 2020 was not due to SARS-CoV-2 virus, which was largely absent, but was due to the widespread use of midazolam injections, which were statistically very highly correlated, coefficient over 90%, with excess deaths in all regions of England during 2020. The widespread and persistent use of midazolam in UK suggests a possible policy of systemic euthanasia. And incidentally, it was Matt Hancock, who I believe was the Minister of Health at the time, responsible for this, and also was caught in a conversation saying they need to ramp up the fear so that more people will take the vaccines. And then there's a UK-based article by mailinglist.substack.com. The author is named Illusion to Reality. This was published yesterday. We were lied to by them all. Medicines regulator failed to flag COVID vaccine side effects and must be investigated, say MPs. The COVID-19 saga has been labelled as the biggest crime against humanity, a remark that has been repeated all over the world by a few brave doctors, scientists and lawyers for several years. The reality of this almost unbelievable story is beginning to hit home at last with the revelation by this group of all-party MPs about the failure of the MHRA, which is the UK equivalent of the FDA, by the way, to protect the nation's health. In allowing the COVID-19 vaccines to be rubber-stamped by the MHRA, MPs have stated that Britain's so-called health regulator failed to provide the public with warnings about the dangers of these experimental injection gene therapies advertised as vaccines. This was despite the many challenges from hundreds of other medical professionals worldwide questioning the competence of the MHRA. Throughout it all, these medical experts have been trying to raise public awareness about this unsavoury saga. But throughout it all, we must remember that the information revealing the truth about what was going on has been in the public domain all along. People needed to stop and think about what was happening first rather than act in panic due to the fear-mongering created intentionally by the government and the media. People needed to stop and do some simple research to discover that all was not what it seemed soon after the whole saga began. Clearly, many members of the public did speak out despite being targeted as anti-vaxxers and ridiculed. However, only a very few brave doctors decided to warn the public. There were numerous examples of truth-tellers amongst those who worked inside the National Health Service which included many highly qualified nurses and carers from across the world. But because of speaking out, thousands who would not succumb to the forced government approach to vaccination lost their jobs and often their careers. They often became vilified by members of their own families and members of the public who screamed at them to get vaccinated and mask up, repeating the carefully crafted government slogans that unless they did as they were told, they could kill granny and that they were irresponsible anti-vaxxers. They were mercilessly censored by the mainstream media and even stopped from sharing their experiences on social media. 
One of the most outspoken doctors throughout the whole four-year episode is Dr. Peter McCullough, who by far has the most experience in the world as a well-respected cardiac specialist and expert in COVID-19. As a result of his speaking out, he has been censored and his career as a medical professional in his senior role as a professor was ruined. It is outrageous to have witnessed someone thoroughly dedicated to truth treated in the way he has been, but he is not alone. Many equally brave doctors with previous unquestionable qualifications and records have been treated similarly. They too have seen their careers end and their reputations crushed by the government, the so-called regulatory agencies, the mainstream media and social media. It has been heartbreaking and most disturbing to have witnessed the treatment of friends and families of those who knew what was going on with this COVID saga from the very beginning and who stood against and refused the dreaded so-called safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines. Checking with medical practitioners before any medical intervention is a basic requirement of the informed consent procedures laid down by the GMC, General Medical Council, that changed in November 2019, well before the crisis began. It was the first place I looked when I began to hear about the enforced rulings by the government, which revealed the absolute disregard for truth. This whole sordid affair has been going on for four years, and only now are members of the public finally waking up to the truth, which at present includes a few, 25, members of Parliament. I believe to a large degree this is because of the work of Andrew Bridgen, MP for Leicestershire, through his dogged persistence in demanding parliamentary accountability in debates. The message he has been advocating has finally paid off. But it is not because the other 600-odd MPs have decided to agree with him. The public needs to be reminded how all members of Parliament behaved by walking out of the chamber whenever Mr Bridgen got up to speak in the public's interest. But speak he did, despite the enormous disappointment he must have felt addressing an empty chamber and the smearing he has received from MP colleagues throughout, including having been thrown out of the Conservative Party. But it is mainly because of his dogged determination to ensure the truth is heard in public that we are now witnessing some of the skullduggery that has been going on behind closed doors. Finally, the mainstream press has decided to write about how the MRHA, the public health watchdog, has been responsible for withholding vital information. The figures have been in the public domain for a long time, as has the totally unacceptable behaviour of the MHRA in covering up the terrible number of adverse effects and deaths that have occurred through the taking of emergency-only unauthorised medical injections known as COVID-19 vaccines. Finally, the truth is emerging about how the MHRA is 87% funded by the pharmaceutical companies themselves. The MPs also made the point about the MHRA needing investigation concerning their announcement a while back about how their role was changing from watchdog to enabler. One would need to ask whether this means a change of function in assisting the acceptance of pharmaceutical products by waving them through, no questions asked, 
or remaining as a protector of public health from poor products. The latest news about the CEO and head of the MHRA, June Rain, resigning at this particular juncture has obviously also caused quite a stir due to the timing of the latest MP's demand for an inquiry. Another stir has been caused by the sudden announcement by the Office of National Statistics, ONS. The latest statistics on the ONS website show that the number of excess deaths mortality figures has been changed to show a considerable reduction in deaths. The claim is that the previous way of calculating excess deaths was flawed. Many people have commented on how convenient it is at this precise moment. Many believe this ensures that Andrew Bridgen MP will no longer have floor space in Parliament because other MPs will likely shut him down, quoting the new ONS statistics. It's difficult to believe otherwise. It's not surprising to see many public members showing their anger at having been so deceived on such a vital matter as the public's health. For example, this anger can be seen in the numerous comments to the latest article in the Daily Telegraph on the failure of the MHRA and the demand by MPs for a public inquiry as to why they were so lax in protecting public health. I suspect this will be just the beginning of many more truths about the COVID cover-up. We shall have to wait and see. And it was written by Graham Bridger. So there's more and more evidence coming out about these shameless people in authority who not only pushed this death jab onto so many billions of people, but also the denial of this actually happening in many cases. Every time Andrew Bridgen stood up in the House of Commons to state the excess death figures, he was booed by the rest of the chamber. Um, Not many, of course, because they never showed up for that kind of debate. And the health secretary uh, repeatedly accused him of being a conspiracy theorist And Rishi Sunak had the audacity to say in Parliament, in the House of Commons, in response to Andrew Bridgen, that he could state unequivocally that the COVID vaccines were safe. Well, I'm hoping that these people will soon face justice, especially since uh, Rishi Sunak profited hugely because of his investments in a company related to Moderna. Now the CDC has the audacity to say we can pretty much treat COVID like the flu. And many of us said there was no COVID. It was just a form of flu. And that was proven in the statistics that showed that during COVID, the number of flu cases dropped to virtually zero. I mean, anybody with any modicum of intelligence would see that immediately. There are quite a number of posts on X with the similar message. Uh, Johan Anti-WEF posted, we were warned, and it shows. um, Back in 2011, a woman holds in her hands a 2011 newspaper which says in black and white that Bill Gates is going to start depopulation through compulsory vaccination. 
as it will be the most environmentally friendly solution. This was in a paper called The Sovereign Independent. And then D.D. Denslow shows a screenshot of the Irish Light newspaper. Heart disease in children explodes since vaccine. In the UK, Dr. David Cartland has a huge following and he's a doctor who was persecuted by the General Medical Council because he stood up and called out the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccine. And Double D replied to one of his tweets saying, the police in Britain have known since 2021 exactly what is going on. We visited them in their stations all over the country and handed in the irrefutable evidence. They refused to investigate and they too must go to jail in the end. Another tweet on Twitter or on X, I can't pronounce the name of the guy who posted it, but it says, it is my intent to charge the British government, among others, with commission of crimes against humanity before the International Criminal Court. So people are just standing up now and saying these people have to face justice, possibly another Nuremberg trial for crimes against humanity. It's about time, I have to say. There have also been some rather strange and suspicious goings on amongst the royal families of Europe. Fletch 17 posted on X, Happenings. King Charles cancer, apparently it's prostate cancer, and I did see one report that suggested that he only had six months to live. Kate, the Prince of Wales, hasn't been seen since surgery. She left the public eye at Christmas time. Sarah, Duchess, that was Prince Andrew's ex-wife, skin cancer. Prince Edward, stepping back. Thomas Kingston died. I've got more on that. King of Norway in hospital. Pope in hospital. Queen of Denmark, abdication. Two black horses with one white horse in London. It was a ceremonial procession down the Mall by Buckingham Palace. And the flag was covered in some kind of black covering. People were remarking on how strange this was. And then we've got McConnell stepping down, CEOs selling a lot of stock, all just in 2024. Looks a lot like nothing can stop what is coming. Cillian posts on X, the presence of the Grim Reaper at the King's coronation last year is beginning to make a lot more sense. Two royals, including the King, have since been diagnosed with cancer. Jacob Rothschild and Henry Kissinger, who both had strong links to the royal family, have died. Kate Middleton has gone missing, Princess of Wales again. Prince Edward temporarily stepped back from royal duties. Thomas Kingston, who married into the royal family, has died. He was the son-in-law of Prince Michael of Kent, and it's turned out that he died from a gunshot to the head, which I think is rather suspicious. And again, two black horses were spotted with a captured white horse and a black flag outside Buckingham Palace. The last two times this happened were just before World War II and when Queen Elizabeth II died. Are you getting it yet? And then 
Earlier this week, there was a memorial service for King Constantine of Greece, and there's a close connection between the Greek royal family and the British royal family because Prince Philip was of Greek origin and King Constantine was also the godfather of Prince William, the current Prince of Wales. Interestingly, Prince William, who was supposed to be reading at the service, backed out for personal reasons. Nobody knows what that is exactly. And then um, Lucy Lockett reports, the more I think about it, more oddness. Andrew, Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson, his ex-wife, leading the royals yesterday when neither of them are HRHs. Of course, Prince Andrew was stripped of his uh, royal titles because of his involvement with Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. And of course, he settled in a civil court over Virginia Gouffray's claims of being sexually assaulted by him. Um, so Andrew and Sarah leading the royals yesterday when neither of them are HRHs. Both are officially disgraced and they're not married to each other. No Duchess of Edinburgh, not a private event as there were foreign dignitaries. No protocol. So there's lots of weird things going on in relation to the royalty. Um, the, those of us who have been right down the rabbit hole will know that these royals are pretty evil people and of course several years ago Buckingham Palace was kind of boarded up and the crest removed from the gates so to anyone who says there's nothing happening I think we're seeing huge signs that things are happening and the more you're tuned into these things the more you kind of pick up what's really going on behind the scenes. I mean, certainly I tend to do that, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners do as well. So I'm getting close to the end of the show. Um, I do feel very heartened by the extent of the reveal that's happening and also more and more that's coming out to show that these indictments against Trump are failing miserably the latest in the court case related to Fanny Willis and Wade, her alleged lover, is that the lies were told about when their relationship started and there's going to be a decision in the next two weeks by the judge as to whether Wade and Fanny Willis will be disbarred, the case dismissed, and even whether they face criminal charges. So that'll be interesting to see. So, yeah, things are happening, and everything that they try against Trump pushes up his polling numbers. So, roll on Trump being back in the White House. So that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next Saturday or on the podcast channels if you listen to the recordings. 
Thank you to Nancy for producing and to Derek Condit for sponsoring Cosmic Reality Radio. He's at mysticalwares.com. And just a reminder, you can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net. So until next time, stay well, be safe, and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com.